Marcus Marcus controls the power and wealth of a vast military and religious empire. Yet one horrific crime threatens to destroy everything in his world. Addled by drugs and grief, Marcus Marcus begins a trans-dimensional journey that will ultimately force him to confront a dark and devastating truth. Chapter 20 Being so utterly alone If Dick went to prepare my transportation, I sat waiting in a small room. The room's furnishings consisted of two benches and a small shrine. The image on the shrine was of a laughing jester juggling stars and comets. Hi, space, I said, touching the image with the index finger of my right hand. I took my hand away, felt inside my jumpsuit, took out my card, put it in the slot beneath the laughing jester. A little screen lit up with the words, please indicate which organisation you would like to benefit from your offering. The question vanished, to be replaced by a list. I touched the Guild of Space Farers, Orphans and Widows Fund. Then, keyed in the amount of my donation. There was a clicking noise, followed by the words, Thank you. Please remove your card. I did so. And instantly an image of candles appeared before space, the 3D flames flickering brightly. I stared at them, but I could not remember the spacefarer's prayer, though I knew it to be short and simple. Space, spoke Iftek behind me. Please look tenderly on my journey. I turned to look at my vizier. He had a wry, amused look on him. Everything is ready for you, he said. To go do that finding yourself in the here and now thing. An elevator took us down to the cavernous hold with the long, fat bullet pods waited, great robotic arms poised insectile above them like spiders about to pounce on giant grubs. One of the ships had already been moved to the opening of a launch bay. We clambered up steps to the ship's airlock and stepped into a large hollow tube containing only two padded seats and a console at the forward end. Iftek sat at the console and began checking the ship's systems. Looks fine, he said. Looks empty. The bullet pods are used to transport things quickly, Mr Marcus. Equipment, 
salvage, supplies, that kind of thing. What about passengers? I asked. Benches can be pulled out from the walls, but I'd recommend you sit on the console seats. Uh, They are far more comfortable. I walked along the tube, my footsteps making a metallic echo, turned and walked back. If Dick was still at the console, he explained how it operated. Pretty simple, I said when he had finished. Idiot proof, explained my ever helpful vizier. Has to be. In an emergency, anybody should be able to fly one. Looks ready to me, I said, hoping my hint would be taken. It is. Systems are ready. Basic supplies loaded in the storage cabins beneath the console. Ifdeck looked up. You're sure about this, Mr. Marcus? Yes, I said. Then asked a question. Can I switch off the bullet pod's gravity? I quickly explained myself. I think floating in no G would help me with my focusing. If Deck handed me a thin belt, the gravity can be switched off, he said. But you best put this on. The buckle clips onto this wire coming out from the bottom of the console. If you need to move about, just Unstrap yourself from the seat safety harness, but keep the belt and wire attached. That way you can drift in no G as long as you like. When you want to get back to the seat, press that little button on the buckle. The wire will pull you back to the console just like a fish on a line. After securing the belt strap, I sat down in the right-hand seat and began pulling the safety harness across my shoulders and hips. What if the wire snaps? I asked. It won't. But there are hand grips in the wall, Mr Marcus. Just drift until you reach one. And then... Begin pulling yourself to the console. Idiot proof indeed, I muttered irritably. Wanting Ifdeck to be gone, gone at least ten minutes ago. Last chance to change your mind, Mr Marcus. My mind's set, Ifdeck. Please leave and let me go on with it. My companion looked at me frowning, forced himself to smile. Well, we all have different ways of getting our kicks. Have fun, 
Mr. Marcus. You too, if Dick. Mind kiss the dancing girls for me. I will endeavour to do so. My vizier finally left. A few minutes later, his voice came over the intercom. Launch secrets in ten. Ten. Nine. As he spoke the countdown, I had a momentary flash of panic. My stomach lurched and my throat felt dry and tight. Six. Five. In that moment, I knew what I was doing was not only foolish, but dangerous in the extreme. I opened my mouth, ready to cry out, stop, but instead pressed the knuckles of my right hand against my lips, smothered any expression of fear. Two. Two. One. One. Bullet Bullet pod pod now now separating. separating. Control is yours, Mr. Marcus. Don't do anything I would do. And then both Ifdeg and I were laughing, like children who just did the biggest, scariest double dare ever. The laughter was good, echoing around the vast chamber of the bullet pod, shaking out any lingering cobwebs of fear. Thanks. If Dick, I said, I'll check in with you in six hours. And with that, I turned off the intercom and sat absolutely still, contemplating the wonder of being so utterly alone. achieves a freedom denied to the vast majority of humanity. For six hours, I was without attachment, concern or responsibility. I had grabbed time instead of time grabbing me. And yet, I had no idea what to do with myself. I looked at the console, flicked a switch. A screen came on, showing a view of the space station shrinking rapidly behind me. I touched the keyboard, began flicking mindlessly through all manner of channels. When a painting of Beatrice, blue-robed and sad-eyed, flashed by, I focused, flicked back and found her again. She was being featured in a programme about representations of the divinities. The painting was replaced by a picture of a clay model. It looked ancient, with only fragments of blue colouring flecking the red clay. A voiceover was explaining the history of the worship of Beatrice, how once, millennia ago, she had been the companion of the greatest of explorers, warriors and politicians, but was now mostly the comforter of immature girls and imbecile women. The voiceover was male. I laughed aloud, as I wondered what Numa would have thought of the commentator's opinions. My late wife had a great love and respect for Beatrice, and whilst Numa had been described in many 
uncomplimentary ways, rude, lacking in finesse, uncultivated, mass murderer, war criminal, that kind of thing. I was not aware of anyone, even now, who would dare describe her as juvenile or mentally feeble. I killed the sound, instilled the footage at a picture of a more recent statue standing in a grotto somewhere. Her blue cloak was bespeckled with silver, representing either teardrops or stars, depending on which tradition one followed. I touched the image with a fingertip, felt an affectionate irritation. I had finally, for the first time in decades, managed to be truly alone, only to have my wife, my dead wife at that, interrupt me. Seeking distraction, I began flicking through news channels. The great party of Marcus Marcus was widely reported. Rumours were discussed, analysed in forensic detail, opinions sought from respected panellists. One rumour, almost certainly true, was that I had already impregnated the wife or daughter or wife and daughter of a fellow prince who is now suing me for damages. In reply to this report, a representative of the Guild of Spacefarers was defending my character and beneficence. I flipped to another station, where other experts were taking a different angle on my party. Was it really possible to have meaningful sex in low G? Demanded a man sporting a wispy beard. Smiling, I looked from the screen to the flight time, discovered an hour had already gone. Shit! I began flicking through more stations, switched the stations off, flicked on the ship's programmes and memories, looking for something to do, something to give meaning to the remaining 300 minutes in falling. With every search and every inquiry, time snatched the precious minutes leaving me more frantic and more desperate to find something, anything, to justify my momentary freedom. Another thirty minutes passed. My chest felt sore. A weight was pressing against the inside of my skull. I swore, took a breath, squeezed my eyes shut, exhaled. I realised that I was in no condition to do anything, that I should have made a plan before getting into the bullet pod. Now all I could do was try and relax and see if an idea would come of its own volition. It was not much of a plan, but anything was better than the pointless urgency that had achieved nothing but stress and migraine so far. I opened my eyes, held my hands over the console, Thought for a moment, called up data on stored music. The list was encyclopedic, names, groups, cultures, styles. It would take at least another hour to make any meaningful search. Instead, I asked the ship's computer to suggest one random choice. If I liked it, good and well. If not, I would simply turn the screen off and try and find peace in silence.
Thanks for listening to the latest chapter of Marcus Marcus and Hurting Heart. Be sure to tell all your friends, family and ancient enemies about the story. If you like it, rate it, review it, pass on the word and subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Player or your favourite podcast app. If you want to know more about what I do, check out my website, rabfultonstories.weebly.com.